Welcome to Career Tools. Today's topic, 90-day new job plan, your role. Here we go. What will you do in your first 90 days? That's our question that folks get quite often in interviews, right? Right. Yeah. Particularly at mid and more, more senior levels. Yeah. And, and uh, many people get it wrong because they don't realize your first role is to strap in and listen and not change things. Right. We, we say fit in, fit in, fit in, right? That's right. what you ought to be doing. But interviewers, they really don't want to hear that, right? They want to hear about right. action. What are you going to do? Right. They ought not to ask the question about the first 90 days. They ought to say, what will be your first actions? What do you believe will be the first things you'll do? Right. And then you could say, well, the first thing I'll do is this without saying it won't be 90 days. So we do need to give people guidance when they're new in a job in the first 90 days about the plan. Right. And that's what this cast about in terms of your role. And we have three pieces of guidance. The first is decide on what your top priority is or is going to be. Now, to tell you the truth, that ought to be pretty obvious. But in my experience, for probably 70 percent of the managers in the world, it's not. People say there are so many things to do. Yeah, but the moment there are so many things to do, guys, there's not one clear thing. And I know so many managers have gotten so much trouble over the course of their lifetimes because they have made everything equal and they got in trouble because they gave equal time to the most important one or two or three things. So figure out, decide what your top priority is. Secondly, determine what the rest of your unofficial job description is going to be. Not what the company says, but what you believe are the key things that will make a difference. And then last thing, and this is where, again, so many of us miss, and it, it's not a new job mistake. It's just a general mistake, a generic mistake of a lot of us as managers is we don't work out what our metrics are. And I got to tell you, there are a lot of jobs out there that they tell you to do X and Y and Z, and there are no metrics. And you're left to the, the, the feelings at the time of your boss. Now, look, if you're a great schmoozer, you can probably get by with that. But there are a lot of people who have gotten promoted because their boss liked them. And in fact, they didn't do the job well, but nobody knew it because there weren't metrics in place that were reasonable. If you don't have metrics, we recommend you create them. Yes, this increases your risk, but it also increases your visibility if you do well. Let's talk about our first point. You know, and Drucker says this in The Effective Executive, right? Most of us, all of us, can really only do one thing, one singular thing well. And, you know, there's a few few people can maybe do two, but beyond that, yeah, you're, you're Yeah, that's yourself. not what Drucker says exactly. What he says is, for executives, you have time to really make a difference in one area. And the problem is people think they have skills in a lot of areas. And so they want to apply themselves to all the places where they think their skills are above average or perhaps distinctive. But what Drucker is saying is the dispersion of one's time across a number of areas where one has strengths is wasteful to the organization. One must apply oneself. Look, it's Napoleon's dictum, mass at the point of decision, right? In almost all of Napoleon's battles, he was about to lose virtually everywhere else on the battlefield because he starved those parts of the battlefield that weren't important to mass at the point that was. And if you win at the point of decision, the other points don't matter because you route your opponent. 
But what most managers do is say, let's attack everywhere full strength. Well, that ends up probably, uh, particularly when it comes to military things, where there's a three to one, or some people say a six to one defender's advantage. You simply have to have so many resources that it's not even a fight if you're going to win. Right. You can't attack at full strength everywhere by definition. Right. Yeah. So maybe you're lucky. Maybe your top priority has already been assigned to you. You know, maybe in the interview process, you've been told the one thing we need to do around here is blank, you know, get the project under budget or get this contract sold or get the line up to 98%, 98% efficiency, whatever the case might be. If you know that's the main aim, at least in the short term, lucky you, you're a step ahead. Other times, though, and I think this is the majority of cases, and Mike, I mean, let's talk for a minute about your career. In my career, it was a number. It always was a number, but I was in sales and marketing. In your career, it was, was it spread apart? Was it spread out? There were several things? Um, yeah, there were several, there were several things, but there were very clear priorities and they were all measurable in terms of, uh, like an IT number of transactions process or right. uptime, right? That's, you know, in, in MCI, the systems I supported, supported customer service and telemarketing, right? And you had, you know, 14,000 reps sitting on the phone every single day <laughs> using your data, right? And affecting transactions against your databases. And, that was the most important thing. If the system went down, that's 14,000 people sitting there doing absolutely nothing. Well, no, they are doing something. They're collecting a paycheck. During <laughs> they're, cur- they're cursing me is what they're doing. So Yeah, and, and they're collecting a paycheck. They're yeah. draining the corporate coffers, <laughs> there right? You go. There you go. And yeah. I, forget, I forget what the number was. It was millions a day, put it that way, in terms of cost. Because there's not only the cost of the people, there's the cost of lost sales, right? Right. Yeah. So there you go. It adds up. So, so look, for most of us, though, it's more nebulous than given, being given one or two things. If a manager takes over a team of engineers, the team might have been delivering to the organization's needs for years. And, and there's no real problem to solve. Hey, these guys support the sales organization. Uh, the sales organization sells X to Y, and they basically provide technical data, um, they come up with custom solutions, they provide custom applications, whatever it might be, and it's on a case-by-case basis. On the other hand, a manager might have 50 problems to solve, and they're all urgent. There's two things to think about here, guys. First, remember Covey's priority matrix, which we love. Urgent isn't necessarily synonymous with important, and solving the important problem is often way more important in the long run than firefighting. And most managers, if they get in the role of firefighting, pretty quickly have trouble getting out of it, in part because it feels good to constantly fight fires and put them out. The other thing you've got to be careful of, and we'll have different casts where we help you decide what your priorities can be or should be, but your priority, guys, has got to be in the realm of your boss's priorities. There's no point in solving a problem that your boss doesn't care about. None. There may be one out of every 500 managers where your boss doesn't care about what you do, and yet it's very clear that what you do has a very clear metric. Fine. But the vast majority of you, if you come up with a metric, if you come up with a priority that your boss doesn't care about, you're probably wrong. There's a good chance you're wrong. So solve the problems that are important to him or her. If your boss thinks your job is to get 40 hours out of productivity out of each of your engineers, then by God, get 40 hours worth of productivity out of them first. Then you'll have credibility and your boss might listen to you suggest that maybe there's a better way to skin this cat. 
at the end of every job description, frankly, I, I've probably ever seen, there's always a line which says other duties as assigned the, the or something like that. It's the complete catch-all. And right. uh, it means the company can ask you to do anything that's necessary to further its mission. That seems reasonable. Yeah. And, and uh, it's not just reasonable, it's necessary, right? I yeah. mean, otherwise people would sue because you're asking them to do something outside of their job description. But it certainly impacts your unofficial job description as well. There's unofficial stuff you have to do in every job, and they can appear from the bottom all the way up to the executive level. It doesn't say in her job description or his job description that the receptionist orders lunch for meetings, but they do. When somebody leaves, the manager's always the one that gives a speech, and people just know that. A lot of times, those unnamed things come through accretion from previous managers based on what they wanted to do and what they delegated and what they didn't delegate. The key thing here is in your first 90 days, you oughtn't be deciding all of those things that have been unofficially assigned to you. We recommend you accept them. Now's not the time. Look, we don't recommend making big changes. Now's not the time to suggest that some of the political capital, the early political capital of which you have very little, that you will spend it perhaps on something that has strong followers that you shouldn't or we don't recommend you care very much about, right? Right. Um, there's enough change in your people's heads already. Let things lie. Know what's official and what's unofficial. You know, if you want to have your own Delta file for the job you're in of things you'll change once your political capital improves and once you've nailed a few months of your primary responsibilities, fine. But for unofficial stuff, usually unofficial means unimportant, but yet monitored, leave it alone. Yeah. And just be aware it's out there. Don't don't fool yourself into believing that the only things you're responsible for are the things in your job description. And, and frankly, they've been created over a period of time and your hiring manager may not, in fact, remember what they are. And so you're going to have yeah. to be vigilant. And we suggest that you write them down as you discover them. Yeah, let, let's go a little further than that. Let, let's address the high C's who have a habit of saying, you perfectionists who have a habit of saying, when your boss says to you, hey, listen, you need to do this. It's a kind of a standard thing. And you have a habit of saying, because you're careful about things and because you're thorough and because you know what you're supposed to do, you say, well, it's not in my job description. Oh, God. <laughs> That's Yeah. Okay. Dudes, dudes, really. If I were your friend and we were sitting next to each other in a meeting and you said that to our boss who was You'd in the meeting. <laughs> no, I wouldn't kick him because that would get me closer to the nuclear weapon that was going to go off in the area. <laughs> I would scoot my rolling chair away from them. And then I would watch, and then I would watch my my boss, his boss as well, raise his eyebrow with the laser eyebrow of death and burn their face off. I mean, really? Well, that's not my job description. Yeah. I mean, and I know what you're thinking, folks. You're saying, well, I don't mean to suggest that I don't have to do things not in my job description. What you're saying it with is a tone of the only reason I didn't do it is I didn't know I had to. Yeah. But trust me, no matter what you say, <laughs> no matter what tone you use with the phrase, that's not in my job description, that's like not going to work. There are many of you who are probably going like, I can't even believe Mark and Mike are talking about this because surely oh, come that on. never, that you never happens. Dis <laughs> you, you think that there are people who don't think this is relevant or? Oh, I think there's some people who say nobody would ever say that, but oh. rest assured. Oh, folks, <laughs> trust us, there are. <laughs> 
Yeah. Or I had a guy, I had a guy once come into me and say, and he was holding a piece of paper in his hand and he said, look, we talked last week about this thing you had me do. Yeah. What? And he says, well, I've been reading my job description and it's not in there specifically. And I'm wondering if we should modify my job description. I said, no, we don't need to. Well, then am I still doing it? I said, well, I don't know if you're still doing it or not, but you're supposed to. I told you to. He says, I guess technically you could fall into this bit. Everything else the commander tells you to do. I said, yeah, that's why don't we approach that from a technical perspective? I mean, I was like, you're kidding, right? That That's your defense. I mean, it's literally like holding up a piece of paper and saying, if you shoot me, this will deflect your bullets. There you go. <laughs> you know? Wow. We've, we've probably gone on too long about this. But folks, when you're in our business, you you have to look for things to be amused about because sometimes yes. it's so painful that every once in a while you see something, it's just so bad. It's, it's, it's almost humorous. So yeah, excuse us. <laughs> oh, speaking of humorous, I was at a client last week and a young guy in the back of the room, very sharp. I, I get the impression, very good manager, well-liked, had a series of questions. And he had a habit of asking his questions in the most confrontational way he possibly could. And before I finished my answers, he would interrupt me with a but, right? But what about this? What about that? It, d- it didn't come across terribly confrontational because I'm relatively at ease in front of a group. But, you know, I made a comment to him as he was leaving. I said, you know, you're good. You know, There's some rough edges, but you're good and stick with it. And you'll be a great manager and a great executive. And he immediately, before I could finish interrupting me again, he says, rough edges? I said, yeah. Every single time I answered your questions, you interrupted me with another question. And before I could finish, he said, no, I didn't. <laughs> he just can't even see it. Just yeah. can't even see it, right? <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah. So, but like, nicely, he sent me a note this week and he said, I'm thinking about do, doing this change and you, you seem like somebody who pays attention to things. What do you think I should do? So that was good. So good I, it was amusement at first and then it turned into, may turn into a nice relationship. Who knows? There you go. Awesome. All right. Anything else on that? I'm sorry. For I that. think we beat it to death. No, <laughs> we beat it to death. That's right. The chupacabras are now feeding off of its uh, its carcass. I think <laughs> Chupi is happy. Chupi is happy. Yeah, folks. If you don't know what that is, then you just, you need to look it up. You just just trust us. You need to go look that up. And our last point is you need to work out what the metrics are. Right. You have to be able to measure what you're doing. And I'll tell you the biggest problem with this. I think when we say work out what the metrics are, people are just shocked. Because we're touching them in a place they don't want to be touched. Because there are managers, I, I would be willing to bet 60, maybe as many as 80% of the managers in the world who take over a job, who are both frustrated that they don't have metrics assigned to their job, and thrilled because they can't be measured without metrics. Of course, you are measured. You're going to get a review. At the end of the year, you're going to get a review, and there's your measure right there. It's just completely subjective. But we believe in measures. Your company, whatever it is, whatever it does, gets measured. It does. Any system that externally is required to behave differently than it does internally is doomed to some sort of significant comeuppance or failure. And so we can't have companies trying to sell products or services or trying to market themselves in whatever way and being measured based on growth or or quality or quantity or profitability or whatever, and then not having internal portions of the organization be measured. A house divided against itself cannot stand. It's simple. It's a logical extension of that. And we get emails from people who, whose jobs don't have metrics. And, and at some point, 
If you're a manager or if you're an individual contributor and you've been in a job for six months and you don't have metrics, we want you to start working on them now. And at that point, you're complicit in the fact that you don't have metrics and it will bite you now when your boss says this is what they're going to be and you don't have any input or it'll bite you later in a bad review, which look, if there are no metrics, you don't know what to shoot for. So it's all subjective. Or when you write your resume and you realize there's nothing you can really say about how good you were because there's no objective way externally to say this is how good somebody was in this job. Right. And don't worry about too much about getting it right the first time. You can select a bunch of metrics that you think are appropriate. And yeah. they may not, may in fact not be, but you present them to your boss. Say, hey, this is what I measure myself on. And she goes, no, 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 no. No, those are the five. Yeah. Those are the wrong five measures. You need to measure this. Well, okay. That's a conversation you get to have that you wouldn't yeah. have had otherwise. Yeah. Mike, let's do a little thought experiment. If one of your directs came to you and said, look. I'm not exactly clear what my job measurements are. So I took the time to figure out what I think they should be. And I put them together here. Let's talk about it. Can we ever imagine a situation where that direct wouldn't get a pat on the back? Say, well done. And maybe it's shame on us for not being clear. Here's what your measures are. Okay, I admit that. But at least they didn't come to us and say, hey, you haven't given me my measures yet. Yeah, absolutely. Right? At least they brought a solution to the table. That'd yeah. be huge, huge. You're right. I can't imagine a case where... I wouldn't just just be gushing over the fact that the person brought me the metrics, even if they yeah, were wrong. If they're wrong, even if they're wrong, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're thinking. Yeah. Look, we've got a couple of casts on how to set goals and how to use, how to use MT goals, and uh, we talk about DBQ goals and, and coaching and so on. Sometimes the overall goal is pretty long term. Recently, somebody asked us what the metrics should be when they were working on a two year research process. You know, he was six months in and it's difficult for him to work out what ought to, to be evaluating himself on. Usually, though, that can be broken down. There's not a known measure, but you can say, look, I've got, if I've got a 20 chapter book and I've got two years to write it, I got to write about one chapter every month. And that way I'll be 20 months in and 20 chapters. And then I've got four months to rewrite. You think about rate, which is, you know, distance divided by time and break it down that way. It's certainly in many cases, the organization helps you decide what the periodicity or the frequency of those measurements are based on how often you get evaluated or you get formal feedback or how often you're meeting with your boss. I mean, look, if nothing else, in less than a year for most of us, if your organization does reviews yearly, you're going to have a review. If you don't know what your metrics are, you'll have no evidence you're doing a good job. This one we talk about third, but it's the one that worries me the most. If every manager knew this, the Sturm and Drang in management would drop by 20% immediately. Yeah, agreed. So that's it. Look, work out your top priority. Make sure you understand what your unofficial job description is, even if you may not be able to change it right away. But be clear about what those things are that are hidden between the lines. And by all means, let's get some metrics. And come to the forums. It's a great place to find out what other managers, who probably have been in your role before, we're measured on. If it's not measured at your company, somebody is measuring it effectively, and the forums are a good place to start. In your first 90 days, we've said it before, beginnings are delicate times. The sooner you get a handle on this stuff, the sooner you'll begin to feel like you're starting to make traction. And traction is good. Yeah. Folks, come to the forums. We've recently done some surveying of, of folks on the website, and and one of the greatest benefits people talk about is the forums and like-minded forums. managers yeah. who want to do well. And it's it's just a treasure trove 
of great information, folks that are out there very, very willing to help. So take advantage of it. Yep. All right, my friend. Thanks. Thanks, Barter. All right. We'll see you. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, have a great one.